Y'all can be seated. One day this week, I was walking around Mountain Valley Park, you know, those long sidewalks there, and I was thinking about the passage God had us, has us in today in Matthew chapter 9. And as I was thinking about it, I, I saw a couple things at the park there. They got new turf on the soccer field, and I saw a football team practicing. I think it was our hometown champion Wranglers who won the Arena League football championship last year. And I noticed something. As the coach coached them, he would sometimes have the football, and he would show them a play. You go here, you go here, and they would listen, but it didn't stop there. What happened next? Uh, the coach would toss the ball back to the team and say, now, now you guys run it, right? That's how a good coach operates. I also saw what looked to, to be a grandpa and his grandson on the basketball court, and I watched the grandpa teaching his grandson some things. I, I saw him with the ball showing his grandson how to pivot, and the grandson listened and watched, but it didn't end there, right? What happened next? He... He passed the ball to his grandson. Are you ready? ready. <laughs> All right. He passed the ball to him, and then I watched his grandson go ahead and do the same thing. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Well, in today's passage, what I see is Jesus passing the ball of ministry to his 12 apostles. We've seen an interesting pattern in this book so far. Matthew keeps going back and forth. He'll show us authoritative action of who Jesus is and what he does that demands a response. You think about the beginning of the book. He, he showed us that Jesus came through the virgin birth. He is the God-man. He shows us wise men bowing at the feet of a toddler. He shows the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the authentication of Jesus at his baptism. He shows Jesus overcoming Satan's temptations in the desert. And then what happens? We get to the teaching we know as what? Matthew 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, here's who he is. Here's what he did. Now, here's the response. You need to have a heart of faith rightly related to the king. And that's going to shape your ethics. It's going to shape how you live your life. Then after the, the Sermon on the Mount, he does it again. More recently, uh, you remember Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 9, 34. We've seen the great love of the Savior King for the hurting and the sinful. We've seen over and over his power, his power over sickness, disease, nature, demons, his ability to forgive sins, which only God can do. Indeed, his, his power over death itself as he raised a little girl. And now we're going to get into the next response. In, in light of who he is and what he does, he's going to teach his disciples how they should respond. Namely, they should have faith, and they should obey him, and they should follow him in his mission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about the phrase, cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died because as a faithful pastor of the Word of God in the context of Nazi Germany, he was bold enough to speak against the Nazis while many other churches were going right along with it. it. It cost him his life. So he knew something about costly discipleship. He didn't just speak it. He lived it. One author said this about Bonhoeffer. 
Bonhoeffer says that the grace we received from God is costly because it cost God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. He points out that grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ is cheap grace. The grace of Jesus is costly because it calls us to follow Christ. As he passes the ball to his 12 apostles, talking about their response, we're also going to learn and we're going to wrestle with the question, what will we do with who he is? What will he call us to? And as we go through, you know, I love keeping things lined up. It helps me in my mind. We're going to have six words that start with C. Number one, the first C word is compassion. So we look at Jesus, we see that he had compassion on the crowds. Chapter 9, verse 35 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. If you like Cliff's Notes, that's a really good Cliff's Note for where we've been the past few weeks, right? But he goes on in verse 36. says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We know from Jesus' other words that they had religious leaders, but they were the kind that would condemn the people, put burdens on them, and not lift a finger to help them. So they're like sheep who know there are wolves around, but there's no shepherd to protect them, and they just can't rest because of all the wolves and, and no one to stand in for them. Jesus saw that and says he had compassion for them. You know what compassion is? It is deep sympathy for someone in need, perhaps someone hurting. Now think about that. We live in a world where many are quickly becoming indifferent to the needs around, right? Isolate. Me, me, me. And indifference leads to inaction. We got to guard against that. It's easy to get there. We become cynical when we look around the world, and it's easy to become numb to the pain. It's easy to become indifferent. That leads to inaction, but compassion compels us. It compelled Jesus in his ministry. If you're like me and, and you struggle to maintain that heart of compassion on certain days and certain situations, you say, I want to grow that. How? Well, think about this. You know how who you hang out with affects what you do? <laughs> You hang out with someone who's cynical, always complaining, always gossiping. What do you find yourself doing before long? The same exact things. The answer to, to have Christ's heart of compassion is to abide in Christ, to spend meaningful time where you're aware of his presence in your life, time in God's word, time in prayer. Say, Lord, help me reflect that heart of compassion to those around me. There's so many in our world going through hard times. I, I think of one this week that actually touched some families in our church. You may have heard that a young man on a motorcycle died on Willow Creek Road in a crash. 
There's some connections with some families in our first service. And when you get to moments like that, what are some of the first questions you start to wrestle with about God? God, where are you? God, how do you feel about this? And what Jesus shows us as he reveals the Father is that God has compassion on the hurting. A couple weeks ago, Carolyn and I got to spend time with a neighbor in our neighborhood. We went over and we got there. And the first half hour was just tears. As she poured out a, a life of pain, the last three years, every family member she had has, has passed away from this or that. She, she spoke of loved ones who had betrayed her, used her, abused her, and it was, it was gut-wrenching. She just poured out those tears, and after listening for half an hour, before we said anything, Carolyn and I looked at each other, and we looked at her, and we said, look, before we say anything, I think if Jesus was here in person, he would want to give you a hug right now. Would you, would you receive that? And she did. Just the three of us just, just hugged it out as she continued to cry. And it made me think, like, how long she been there? And sometimes you go out for a walk in your neighborhood at night and you see all the TV screens flickering inside the windows and how you never know how much hurt is behind those four walls. Jesus has compassion. Second C, Jesus said to, to cry out to the Father for laborers. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Listen, sometimes we talk about prayer in the wrong way. What, someone's going through something and we say, I'll pray for you, it's the least I can do. Is that the right perspective? No, it's the most we can do. To stand in the gap and intercede for that person by taking their hurt and their pain to God most high and saying, Father, this loved one of mine is hurting. Please go to work on their behalf. Don't underestimate the importance of crying out to the Father. I think about that, and I was celebrating an answer to prayer in our own church. Last year, 2022, we were talking about overflow. Pray for overflow. And at one point, we were praying specifically for overflow into this new neighborhood right next door, Deepwell Ranch, right? And just looking back now, some things we had no idea about. I can see God had an idea about. You know, the, the Chino group that Dave Gorgas leads has been going through Genesis. That started earlier in the year last year. And it gradually has grown to 13 or 14 people. And about October, Carl and Sandy moved here to the Deepwell Ranch neighborhood. And they started going to the, the Chino group. As it grew, they, they thought, hey, maybe it's time to, to move to Deepwell Ranch. And so the group is now meeting there. Not only that, a couple weeks ago at the congregational meeting, Carl, who, who lives in the house here in Deepwell and hosts that group, had a couple of ideas. One of them was to have a neighborhood barbecue in Deepwell Ranch. One of them was talking about neighborhood prayer ministry. And what I love about all of that is they weren't even here. <laughs> 
when we began praying for Deepwell Ranch Road. But God heard us cry out for this neighborhood, and, and he had an answer that, he, that he's working out. Cry out to the Father when you see those needs. Number three, Jesus called his laborers. Chapter 10, verse 1, he says he called to him his 12 disciples. Now, this is where prayer can get uncomfortable. you got to realize when you cry out to God about a need, often he's going to say you're part of the answer to that need. <laughs> that, that, that prayer might just need to turn into action in our own lives. I think about like this, talking to God about a need that you see is, is kind of like bringing a ministry idea to a pastor. <laughs> you know what a pastor does when you say that? All right, you willing to help us lead that up? That happened this week, right, right Jordan? Jordan brought a great opportunity. We're hanging out at Starbucks, and he said, man, I was at this church before where we did this men's barbecue in the summer, and guys would come out in the park and just share testimonies, and, and they'd invite their neighbors, and a lot of times their neighbors would end up coming to church. And I said, man, that is an awesome opportunity. Would you be willing to write up a one-page proposal, what it will take to pull that off and kind of spearhead it and help, help us get that together? He said, yeah. Talking to God about a need is, is sometimes like that. There's a guy at the first service who I was having lunch with. He, we, we met together, and he sees this new uh, jail being built on Prescott Lakes Parkway, and he says, I drive by there, and I, I just feel like God's putting on my heart that we need to reach out to those people that are going to be in that building. Did I say, okay, I'll, I'll do it. You, you just pray. No, I said, hey. How can we encourage you and help you as you begin to pursue that call on your life? That, that excited me. Sometimes God does that to us when we pray for a need. But if you're like me, and probably like these guys, when God puts something on your heart, He leads you into a ministry, what's one of your first responses? Who, me? <laughs> you know, like Moses, you got the wrong guy. Right? These guys are human. I wouldn't be surprised if they felt that. There were 240 villages in Galilee at this time. <laughs> and he, he's about to, to call them, right, to go out. But have you ever heard the phrase where God guides, he provides? I believe that with all my heart. He did two things as he called them. The first one is he decked them out for the mission. He gave them what they needed for their mission. It says he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The author of Hebrews tells us their miracles were confirmation of the gospel that Jesus wanted them to proclaim. But I want to tell you something. God still decks out his followers for the mission he has for us today. I want to tell you three ways he does that. There, there are probably a myriad of them. But first, he gives every believer a spiritual gift or gifts to use for his glory and the good of the body. Do you know what your spiritual gift is, believer? I'm going to give you some homework if you want to explore it a little bit. There are a number of passages you should go to. I'll, I'll give you two. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Go there this afternoon, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. 
And you'll see things there, like the gift of encouragement, the gift of leadership, the gift of teaching, the gift of giving, the gift of helps, and, and many more. I want to tell you something. When we see that biblical truth that every believer has a spiritual gift, I want to tell you that a church where the pastors and elders do all the ministry is an unbiblical church. I'm thankful we don't have that here. So many of you are using your gifts. Let me go through that a little bit. Number one, the pastors and elders can't do all the ministry. We're human. We're finite. Okay? We got limited time and resources like you do. Number two, we shouldn't do all the ministry because they're ministries you're better at than we are. Because God has given you gifts that we don't necessarily have. But most importantly, we shouldn't do all the ministry because that's not how God says his church should operate. You know what Paul says in Ephesians 4.11? He says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and here come in the leaders of the local church, the shepherds and teachers, to do all the ministry. Is that what it says? No, it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's when the magic happens, when all of us embrace his call and gifting on our life and say, yes, Lord, how do I use that here for such a time as this? How do I use that in the community? That's where it gets exciting. That's where it gets biblical. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's also given us the word of God. The Word of God. Listen to what he says about the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right here. Listen, somebody comes along and says that you need something different than this, something more than this, something contradictory to this. It is not something more. It is something far less. And it comes from an enemy who masquerades as an angel of light. It is God's revealed word in scripture that makes his workers complete. Spiritual gifts, the word of God and spiritual armor which we may be talking more about in the weeks to come. But for today, I want to give you one more homework assignment. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Read about the spiritual armor God's provided for you. Ask yourself, am I aware, A, that I need that armor? B, am I appropriating it by faith on a daily basis and going into the battle? My dad put it this week in a text. He said, we're thankful to be aboard the battleship CND. It's not a cruise liner, and we wouldn't have it any other way. As long as we're in this fallen world, we're on a battleship. We better be armed. Gifts, the word of God, spiritual armor. He's decked them out for the mission. He's decked us out. Verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Now, let's pause. We've got to say, what does the word apostle mean? Me. Well, in the Greek, 
The word apostle was used sometimes for an official representative of the king. If that representative of the king comes and, and sends you a message from the king and you choose not to obey it, you were seen as insubordinate to the king. Now, now keep that in mind. Throughout scripture, apostle is an interesting word. It's, it's used in several different ways. One is kind of a, a general sense, a, a sent one. And you see a number of people described that way in Paul's letters in the New Testament. It's even used of Jesus himself in Hebrews 3.1. Why? Because he was sent from the Father. Okay, but these 12 guys are apostles in a very unique sense. They, they witness with their eyes Jesus' ministry. They would witness his death and his resurrection. That's who we're talking about here. He goes into the list. First, Simon, who's called Peter. And Andrew's brother. Notice there's pairs in this list. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. But not only did he deck them out for the mission, but when you think about those guys, just think for a minute about their different backgrounds. Someone would look at that team and say, really, you're all working together? <laughs> like he did something else. He destroyed walls of division. Think about the different personalities. Now, this first one, I got to say, is a maybe. But I believe it may be true. Okay, but just say this is a maybe. I don't know of any word in the Gospels where Matthew speaks. That may mean Matthew was a quiet guy. You got Matthew and you got Peter, <laughs> who's anything but quiet, right? Anything but quiet. And here they are on the same team. God brings different personalities together. And I think about that today. It's true in the church today. We got the talkers and we got the quiet people. And we don't need to be judging each other. The quiet people don't be need, need to be judging the talkers, and the talkers don't need to be judging the, the quiet people. God uses all kinds of personalities, right? What about pasts? Okay, you got Matthew, the tax collector, working for Herod, working for the Roman government to collect their goods. And then you got Simon the Zealot. And I know there's debate about what that term zealot means, but what that could mean is that Simon was one of those looking to violently overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus calls these two guys from such totally different backgrounds, destroys the walls of division, says, hey guys, I got a new mission for you. And guess what? You're on the same team. He's still doing that today. I look around this church. I see multiple races together. I, I see literally Jew and Gentile in here and multiple races within the Gentiles. At our first service, I see a police officer and a former hell's angel sitting here. I see all different income levels sitting here, all different ages. And I want to be careful here. I think I'm right in saying that we may have some 80s down to the little babies that make those joyful noises we hear sometimes. And I just wonder if someone from the outside would ever look in here and say, what in the world brought all these people together? 
You know the answer? It's Jesus. He decked them out and he destroyed walls of division. He called them. Number four, he commissioned his laborers. Verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, is that our call today as the church? Go only to the lost sheep of Israel? No, no. But what does Paul say in Romans 1? The gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right? There was an order to, to God's plan, and that's what they're living out here. What's our commission? It's to the world, right? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And three things that we have in common with them. As he commissioned them, he sent them out with a, a declaration to declare. Something to say. Verse 7, he said, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king was there. The Messiah was there. What's the message the church carries today? What's our declaration to declare? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Does that word implore sound like kind of a casual no, we implore you, be reconciled to God. That's the message we take to those who don't know him. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. There's reconciliation available to you, friend. The father sent his son to die for you. Will you embrace him in faith? That's our declaration to declare but it's not just that he sent them out with deeds to do verse 8 heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers cast out demons i want to talk about that for a minute when we talk about the declaration and the deeds it's not an either or some people speak almost as though sharing the gospel is all how we live some people speak about it as though it's almost only what we say. It's, it's not an either or. It's a both and. It's how we live and that we share the message. You think about the deeds to do. Think about how John put it in 1 John 3.18. He said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's got to play out in how we live our lives. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me ask you a question. Does the world know that church has love for one another because we say it? No, they know we have love for one another because they see it, right? Declaration to declare, deeds to do. We also sent them out requiring that they be utterly dependent on God in their ministry. 
Listen to how he puts it to them. You received without paying, second half of verse 8, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. They were to go out dependent on God that he would provide for them along the way. Now, some of these specifics don't apply directly today, but there are some principles here for the believer in 2023. The first one, as we travel through this world, we need to travel light. To travel in a way that acknowledges this is not my home. Listen to how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, we got to unpack that a little bit. He says, those who have wives live as though they had none. Does that mean, Christian husband, that, that we ignore our wives and treat them poorly? No, that would contradict other clear passages where Paul tells us to love them as a servant leader, as Christ loves the church, right? Does this mean we never mourn or rejoice or buy things or have dealings with the world? No, but it means that we do so in such a way that we don't become ensnared in any of this. Every one of these aspects of our lives should not detract from our relationship with God, but should be laid on His altar in a way where we say, use my marriage, use my mourning, use my rejoicing, use the things that I own for you and the eternal purpose, the eternal mission you have me on. For the present form of this world is passing away. One guy put it simply this way. When you stay in a hotel, you don't change the wallpaper. Right? Why? You're just passing through. I, I like to keep that in mind for the Christian life. Travel light. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. You remember those 120 believers praying in that upper room. And we read about the mission but the whole verse says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer in Jesus Christ. Our question today is, will we depend on him? Will we yield to him? When he says yes, we say yes. When he says no, we say no. Are we going to go out and try to do this mission in our own power? Because, listen, there is such a thing as play in church. You can have services and you can do good deeds, but if it's apart from the power of God and not for the glory of God, we're just playing a game. We need to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to faithfully obey the mission we're on. It's also Christ in and with us. Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You all know Acts is a sequel to Luke. Did you know that? Written by the same guy, Dr. Luke. And I love how he starts out the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. 
It says in the first book, O Theophilus, and I like that name. We've got a guy in the back here who's got that in his email, Theophilus Fidelis. I won't say the rest in case so you don't get spammed. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. What's the first book he's talking about? The Gospel of Luke. It covers from the the virgin birth up to Jesus' ascension. And yet, at the beginning of Acts, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What does that mean for the early church and the church today? He's not done. He's still working in and through you and me, us, us broken vessels. Sent them out with dependence on God. The fifth C, Jesus conditioned them for different responses to the message. Verse 11, he says, Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. What does it mean to be worthy? Well, in this context, it's one who would receive the message of the king, receive his messenger, and put faith in that message. He says, stay there until you depart in the house of one like that. Some, some think what Jesus was saying is, don't go looking for the cushiest arrangements in town. You find a worthy person who believes what you receive, just stay put. Don't be like, oh, they got steak in a hot tub over there. I'm going to bounce around. <laughs> you, you just stay put where God provides for you. Verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And here's where he begins to condition them for different responses. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now, this was something familiar to the Jews. You go to a Gentile town that's unclean. You you deal there for a day. And you don't want to bring that Gentile dust back into Israel. So you shake that off before you come back. But for these Jewish apostles of Jesus Christ to do that at the homes of other Jews would have sent a shocking message. It would have been a wake-up call. Hey, you are rejecting the Messiah King who is here. Are you aware that not everybody's going to receive what you believe about Jesus? I mean, deeply aware of it. Are you aware that there are some who are going to push back on you? And sometimes it's going to be very painful. That's what our next two messages, the next two weeks are going to cover as Jesus continues. You have to be aware of that because if you go out there naively expecting that it's going to be all roses, you're going to throw in the towel quicker than you started. You've got to expect it. And I want to encourage you want to encourage you, your faithfulness is not based on the response of those you go to. Some of you need to take that burden off of yourself today. That response on their part is God's department. Take, take that off of you. All God's looking for, I've heard it said this way, maybe you have two, he's looking for fat people. You say, huh? It's an acronym someone used one time. Faithful, available, 
and teachable. I want to encourage you, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He conditioned them for different responses. And finally, Jesus characterized their ministry as consequential. Listen to what he said in verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What town? The town that rejected the message of King Jesus. It will go worse for that town than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you imagine how that landed on Jewish ears? But what's that tell us about the mission we have today? There is an urgency to it. We all live on the brink of eternity. You have family members and neighbors who live on the brink of eternity. I do too. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I think about this urgency. And I got to share, my family and I this week watched a musical version of the story of Noah put out by Sight and Sound Theaters. If you haven't watched some of their musicals and you like musicals, I put that disclaimer on it because I know they're not for everybody. I'd encourage you to check it out. We're watching Noah, and, and of course they have to fill in gaps, you know, when you make a production like that. And they admit that at the front. But as Noah spent those years and years building that ark, he had a brother who was getting more and more involved in the wicked culture around him. And several times you see Noah, who Peter tells us was a preacher of righteousness. You, 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 you see him crying out to his brother, Brother, why have you wandered so far from the paths of God? Come with us. Come with us. And there's this scene after the ark is completed and God finally shuts the door. You see the inside of the ark, but you hear cries from outside the ark as the water rises. And, and one of the cries is from Noah's own brother. And you see something that I don't often think about in that story. And Bible doesn't tell us if it happened or not, but you see Noah and those other seven people inside the ark weeping for those first moments as they hear the cries of those outside the ark because the door was closed. And it makes me think about the fact Jesus today says he is the door, right? But there's a day that that door is going to close. He saw their ministry and your ministry and my ministry as consequential. As we wrap up, I want to share the words of Jesus from John 20, 21, as he looked at his guys, and we can learn from this too. He said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Think about all the barriers he broke down to come after you and after me, and he's saying, you go. You break down barriers to, to take this message of reconciliation to people. And I want to ask you, so we go back to where we started. What's God calling you to? What's he calling you to? When we talk about live a full life in Jesus and, 
and bring others along for the ride at the church next door. And I look at this passage we've been through today. We talk about the three priorities of that, communion with God. You've seen that with these guys. They've spent a good amount of time with, with Jesus, the God-man, community with people. We see that because they, they went in teams, as other, other gospels tell us, two by two. Commission to the world. It wasn't just the teams hanging out. They, they went out to these villages that needed to hear. But I know sometimes when, when the balls pass to us, there's a fear, right? On top of the why me, sometimes there's a fear about following God's call. And some of you have heard this. If you've been here a while, forgive me. Some of you are new. So I'm going to share the story of when God put it on my heart and Carolyn's heart to, to step out of our previous church. We were there eight years altogether, and we were the people that all people would say, are you guys ever going to plant a church? Are you guys ever going to do this? No, no, we're going to retire here. And, and we loved our season of ministry there. But the last two years, we became restless, not due to anything going on there, but due to some things God was doing in our hearts. We wrestled with what to do with that, and you had all the human emotions that go with that. Right? But God went out of his way to encourage us in the call towards what we now know as the church next door. During that restlessness, me and two other pastor friends, Paul Trout being one of them, John's dad, were, were going to a conference in Texas. And right around the time of that conference, four times, in four different ways, God put right in front of my face the passage of Moses at the burning bush. I, I love Moses because I relate to him. The who am I? I felt that same thing when we started to feel that restlessness. But what did God say to Moses at that burning bush? I will be with you. It's not so much who you are, it's, it's who I am, <laughs> right? And four times in four days around that conference, he put it right in front of my face. The, the first time, Jaden, our oldest, was watching the Prince of Egypt in our living room. And I love how they do the scene at the burning bush in that version of Moses' story. There it was. I'll be with you. Get on the plane and uh, guess what my scheduled reading for the day was in my scheduled out Bible? Moses at the burning bush. I will be with you. Get to the conference and guess what one of the main speakers was talking about? <laughs> Moses at the burning bush. Flight home, reviewing a DVD for the women's ministry at that church, and guess what the lady was teaching about? Moses at the burning bush. And right in the middle of that, at that conference, those, those speakers gave a call and said, some of you guys are feeling a call into something new. There are 2,000 pastors there. You're feeling God's leading you to a new chapter. Will you surrender to that? And got down and said, Lord, I don't know where this is going, but I trust you, and, and yes. And then God put a little icing on the cake. We got back, and Carolyn and I talked. I told her about the surrender there, and she was on the same page with me, which is amazing because it made no earthly sense in the world. I love her so much. But as I'm at the office at the previous church, knowing I need to share what's on my heart with the lead pastor. I see there's a voicemail on my phone. 
and it was a, a guy from California who had been in my college group there years earlier. Now he'd grown up, gotten married. We hadn't talked in forever. And he said, hey, give me a call. So right after we got back from that conference, I called him and said, what's going on, man? He said, well, I was in my kitchen in my boxers making toast. I'm like, I didn't need the boxer detail, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, God really put it on my heart to pray for you just the other day. And I said, what did he put on your heart to pray for me? And he said that God would give you the faith to step out and do whatever it is he's calling you to do. I'm like, let me, let me tell you about these last few days, my friend. So I want to encourage you. I know those emotions. If you sense God calling you into the ministry to meet a need. But I pray that God will give you the faith to do whatever he's calling you to do today. And if you already know what that is, the faith to continue and carry on till he comes. Lord, I thank you so much for this passage. You are almighty God. that you chose us, invited us to, to be part of this ministry. Grace, not just to forgive us, but to equip us and, and send us out with you. And thank you. And I pray for those who are in the ministry you've called them to. I know even when you know where you're called, sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes you, you feel like throwing in the towel. Lift them up today. Maybe they're not seeing the response they wish they would see. Help them lay that in, in, in your department. Give them strength to continue to be faithful and to know the sweet fellowship of, of abiding in you and your fruit coming through them. For some who, who may be on the brink of you leading them into new ministry, but they're scared saying, why me? Not with this past, not with these fears. I can't talk to that person. I don't know what it is, but Lord, lead them forward in the power of your Holy Spirit. Give them the faith to do what you've called them to do. And I pray that everyone in this room has received the message of the King, that there is reconciliation with the Father the King of kings and Lord of lords who gave his life on the cross for their sins and mine and rose again. Draw them home, Lord. We praise you. Even as we take our offering, may it be from just thankful hearts to Jesus Christ, our King. In his name we pray. Amen.